think it was, the, I have come to feel that it's the single most important thing I ever did. I was also a conscientious objector during the Vietnam War, which is extremely important to me as well. I was honored to spend four decades in, in women's health as a cancer surgeon and etc. But I think the single action getting this law changed is the most important thing, single thing I ever did. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. When the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade on June 24th, it left each state to decide its own abortion laws. Many Republican-led states are reverting to the anti-abortion laws that were on the books before 1973 when Roe legalized abortion. Vermont actually legalized abortion a year before Roe. In 1972, the Vermont Supreme Court overturned a 122-year-old law that made it a crime for a doctor to perform an abortion, though it was not against the law for a woman to have one. In practice, this meant that a woman could legally self-abort at their own peril, but a doctor who performed an abortion could be arrested and imprisoned for up to 20 years. The case that legalized abortion in Vermont featured a pregnant woman named Jacqueline R. and her doctor, a gynecology resident at UVM named Jack Beecham. The prosecutor was a young state's attorney, Patrick Leahy, and the landmark case that legalized abortion in Vermont was known as Beecham v. Leahy. Dr. Beecham went on to a distinguished medical career as a gynecologic oncologist and cancer surgeon. He was an associate professor at the Dartmouth Medical School and was the founding director of the Gynecologic Oncology Program at Dartmouth Cancer Center. He has continued to be a champion of reproductive rights throughout his life. He retired from practicing medicine in 2008 and now lives in Shelburne, Vermont. I reached out to Dr. Beecham to talk about the role that he played in legalizing abortion in Vermont and his thoughts on the state of reproductive rights today. Dr. Jack Beecham, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Well, I thought we'd begin with the news of the day and just get your thoughts uh, when you heard the news that Roe v. Wade had been overturned by the Supreme Court. I was so deeply disappointed uh, that it's hard for me to put my feelings into words. I think it was not only wrong decision, but an outrageous decision. And the effect it will have on countless millions of women is, is just deplorable. And uh, the only saving grace is that it's still legal in Vermont. And, um, and then, as you know, the constitutional amendment is coming up in November, and I'm certain that it will pass. And the only way it would be countered is if the Republicans win the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And Mitch McConnell has stated clearly that he will then push for a national ban on all abortions. So about half of the U.S. is going to be reverting to the world as it was before Roe v. Wade, uh, before abortion was made legal in 1973. 
you are very familiar with that world. So tell us about the world before abortion was legalized in Vermont. What did it look like for women? I can tell you uh, something that a medical student of mine who went on to a residency in New York City, a large hospital in New York City, uh, said she went, started there in 1969 and she said there was a whole 25-bed ward full of women with sepsis from illegal abortions. And after New York passed the law, the ward was empty. And she's not one to exaggerate. So uh, I can't comment about Vermont. I, I just came here as a young intern in 1969. Um, certainly, early on, once New York passed its uh, law, then women could go over Lake Champlain or wherever it could, could go to New York to get their therapeutic abortion. And I think of the term therapeutic abortion, there are a number of medical terms or abortion, um, which we can go into if you ever wanted to. But to me, this is therapy and it helps, it helps save women's lives. So in the early years, as you were practicing, what would you do when a woman would ask you for an abortion? What could you do? I, once a New York law was passed, I would refer them to New York. And, um, and that was 1970, I believe, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you would just refer them to New York. Um, what would women do who couldn't get a legal abortion, who didn't or couldn't go to New York? I can only guess that they found someone, a man or a woman, physician or non-physician, who would perform the procedure for her with the risks that we've just talked about. I reached out to you because um, you are one half of a very famous case in Vermont, Leahy versus Beecham. Talk about that case and how you came to be involved in it. And of course, this was the case that ultimately resulted in legalizing abortion in Vermont a year before Roe v. Wade in 1972. Yes, yes. Well, first of all, I want to say about Senator Leahy that he's a wonderful human being, a great gentleman and senator, and his role was really to present the data from the state. And he presented it. I was at the presentation of the trial, and... I was, I was struck even then with the neutrality with which he presented his case. And subsequently, years later, uh, I received an award from the National Organization for Women. At that time, both he and Senator Jeffords sent me uh, very kind letters about, about what I and Jack Lenore had done. So UVM at the time had two units, the Bishop the Gosbian unit, which I still refer to as the Gosbian, a former Catholic hospital, and the residents in OBGYN at UVM had evening, once a week, evening birth control clinics. 
And so we would, uh, of course, staff them. And on one evening, one of the intake uh, women said that there was uh, a person that would like to meet me that was interested in abortion. And she was Jacqueline Nara. I've never have learned her full name. And I talked with her about this and she was very comfortable maintaining her pregnancy um, for the time that it would took up to 12 weeks anyway to pursue the case. Uh, I remember her, remember her as having a gentle smile and glasses and she had a cast on her lower leg and she was from Northwestern Vermont. I cautioned her about what it would mean to continue the pregnancy of for another, she was five weeks, for another seven weeks, and included the annoying factors such as morning sickness, which can be even more than annoying. Uh, emotional upheaval about the decision, was this correct or not? Um, in full, uh, abdo lower abdominal fullness and, and breast tenderness, all early signs of pregnancy. Let me just j jump in there because at this point, you already have in your mind the idea of pursuing a case, it because you're you're oh, talking. Yes. So, I'm sorry. I over that part. I yeah, let that. let's back up to that part. Um, what was the case that you were pursuing, and and why did you want to do it? You were a young resident. You had a career and a future to be worried about. I did. I did. Um, well. During the winter of 1969-1970, the Vermont legislature, legislature had hearings uh, regarding this subject. And there were those on the supportive side and those on the anti-abortion side. And we were limited to three-minute discussions on each side. And my way of remembering is that our side proposed very reasonable causes for this uh, law to be changed. And the other side was just virulent and almost hysterical about how wrong this was. And this went on for two legislative sessions, I think two winters, and it became clear that it was not going to happen legislatively. And uh, our lawyer named uh, Willis Higgins, who was doing pro bono work, he was uh, an IBM lawyer, but doing this on his own pro bono, uh, proposed uh, in a small meeting we had that I attended, well, I'm quoting, well, what we need is a woman who's pregnant, who's willing to do this and a courageous physician. And I stood up and said, I don't know about the courageous business, but I'm certainly willing to be the physician here, if you'd like. And this had followed a case that many UVM professors, including from my own department, had brought against the state on behalf of four women, Vermont women who had IUD failures and therefore obviously didn't want to get pregnant. And they 
had to at the time go to New York State to uh, get their therapeutic abortions. The judge involved said that the case was moot because they were no longer pregnant. So attorney Higgins pointed out the need is a woman that is pregnant, the doctor who's willing to help her. And uh, that's where Jacqueline R and I came in. Were you this little ad hoc group? Were you just an ad hoc group or were you kind of part of some larger movement or you know organization that was wanting to challenge Vermont's anti-abortion law? Well, certainly Planned Parenthood was very supportive. Um, well, I, I, can't I can't say I was officially part of Planned Parenthood, but, but they were, members were very supportive. And basically, Jack Lenar and I went on our own. And, and why, um, why did you feel so strongly back to that idea, you're a young doctor, and this maybe could be trouble for you? Yes. Um, I might say that while developing strategy, I went to the head of legal services in Vermont, uh, because Jacqueline was uh, on legal aid, and we were seeking ways to change this law. And he said, well, one thing you could do is uh, you could perform an abortion and then get arrested, and then you could challenge the case. And I said, look, I'm a young physician, married. I have two very young children. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to interrupt my training. Um, as far as why did I feel so strongly, I just knew about septic abortions, and I knew how frequent unplanned pregnancies occurred not only in semi-normal relationships, but rape and incest and the like. And I just felt that it was essential that women have control over their own bodies and their own lives. And this was the late 60s and early 70s. So it was sort of a radicalized time, at least for me, coming up from the city to, to Vermont at that time. So I was young enough to to take action uh, when I was asked to take Were you nervous? I don't know if I already said, I did not ask permission of my department chairman. Um, and I later heard the phrase, to ask permission is to seek refusal. And, <laughs> I, I'm gonna remember that one. <laughs> and uh, so I just felt I didn't want to be refused. I wanted to go ahead and I, I guess I didn't worry very much about how the department chairman would treat me. Uh, and uh, I know that after the case, he took an awful lot of heat from other department, not, not other private practicing physicians. Uh, Burlington at the time was a, a highly Catholic uh, town and uh, many of the physicians also practiced at Fanny Allen Hospital. And Which I was a Catholic the, hospital. And I remember, I remember this, the stares at me uh, as they walked past me, uh, basically glowering at me. So I know I offended a lot of physicians, uh, particularly of the Catholic faith. Was there more than glowers? Did people confront you and, and uh, criticize your role in this? 
Well, they certainly criticized me. And even many years later, I was asked to give a talk at UVM to the medical students. And one of the physicians who was in practice at the time, who shall be nameless, he had eight, eight children. And after my talk, I said, are there any questions? And he was still very bitter, very bitter. What did, what did he say? You shouldn't have done this. This is wrong. I don't know that he said I committed a sin, but... Um, was going into women's health for you in the late 60s part of a larger sense of social justice in, in some way for you? Good question. Like many of your questions, very good. It became that way. Um, I surely was influenced by my father, who was an obstetrician and gynecologist. So he would come home from the office, and while he never used patients' names, he would uh, frequently talk at the dinner table about a challenging case of this or that. So I was familiar with the terminology by the time I got to medical school myself. And uh, so there was that inclination toward obstetrics and gynecology, which I found very, very interesting, and uh, subsequently decided to pursue that. Tell me about the courtroom scene where you faced off against this young state's attorney, Patrick Leahy. Were you also at the Supreme Court hearing? No, this was at the Superior Court in Burlington. And I actually did not participate, but I was in the audience. Uh, the participants were uh, Mr. Leahy and Willis Higgins. And uh, as again, I said, I, I was impressed by the neutrality of uh, Mr. Leahy's presentation. And, uh, Let me ask you about that. By neutrality, and I know, I, I think I've seen it described, I don't know if by you or others, that he seemed surprisingly kind of dispassionate. What uh, do you think was going on there? I just thought that he was doing his job and that he had no choice but to present the state's case, to present it yeah, dispassionately. I just felt that that was his approach to things. And I know from many years later how much he, he regretted his role in trying to eliminate or, or prevent this uh, law from being carried out. Uh, he's, he's of Catholic faith himself. He went to St. Michael's and... Uh, but he has been an ardent supporter of women's rights in this regard for his whole lifetime, at least from his time as uh, Chittenden County State's Attorney. So I don't know, it was, uh, I thought it was professional, neutral, but factual presentation. I don't think it was lackadaisical in any way. What was the decision of the Superior Court? I know it was appealed to the Vermont Supreme Court. I'll, I'll tell you uh, <laughs> a little, uh, story, it, it was said by our attorney that uh, the judge, when he, he went home to make to think about it and come back the next day to make a decision, and uh, his daughters and his wife told him, if you don't act in Buena's favor, don't bother coming home. That's how strongly they felt about it. Um, <laughs> and again, I, I don't think this is apocryphal, but my attorney said that the judge called him into the, his, his orders uh, after the case and said, 
to Mr. Higgins, if he had ruled in our favor, the state would appeal it and delay things so long that Jacqueline R. would need to have a therapeutic abortion and the case would then be uh, moot and not, not of any value. He, uh, he said, if, if I rule for the state, again, this may be apocryphal in my wording, but if I rule for the state, I know that you and your, your plaintiffs will immediately take this to the Vermont Supreme Court. And that's what happened. And uh, the Supreme Court, the state, state court, Superior Court, I think was January the 14th of 1972. Um, January the 7th rather, and then the 14th, the Supreme Court made its decision. And this decision, I've reviewed it. I'm, I'm very impressed with the details, the legal details of it. But bottom line is that um, this, this law was 1859. And what it did, it, it did not penalize the woman for having an abortion, but it penalized the physician who performed the abortion. And the physician would have been sentenced to three to five years if the patient got through it and five to 20 years if the patient died from the procedure. So the Supreme Court decided, and there was only one objection, that I was not part of their legal decision, the physician wasn't, but the woman, Jacqueline, was denied medical care and that that was unconstitutional. And therefore the case was upended. I'll just tell you a brief anecdote. I was uh, over in the laboratory with one of my professors who was doing some research and I got a phone call. And, Hello, hi, this is Jack. We won. And metaphorically, I almost fell through the roof, fell through the floor. I just, I pursued it because I thought it was the right thing to do. I didn't even think about winning or losing. It sounds odd, but I really didn't. It was more this is the right thing to do. And I was floored by the decision. And gosh, within several months, the Women's Health Center was established, I think by May. And some of my faculty went out there to provide abortions uh, that quickly. And this became, this was the clinic staffed by Drs. Judy Tyson and Emma Adelenghi, I think she was Emma Wenberg at the time, and I believe was the first woman-run uh, reproductive health clinic in the country, as I've read. I didn't know that. I knew they were actively involved. I think Dr. Mary Jane Gray was also involved. And, uh, yeah. How did that case change your life? I think it was... The I have come to feel that it's the single most important thing I ever did. In the single thing. I, I was also a conscientious objector during the Vietnam War, uh, which was extremely important to me as well. And I was honored to spend four decades in, in women's health and as a cancer surgeon and et cetera. But I think the single action, getting this law changed is the most important thing, single thing I ever did.
And I'm still moved by it. And I'm very, very grateful that I could be part of helping others. And finally, what are your concerns now in these first days after Roe v. Wade has been um, overturned and where much of the country will now go back to the landscape that you were in as a medical resident? I'm just horrified and so deeply disappointed and I'll be on the, the, the sidelines fighting like everyone else uh, that feels as feels in support of women and giving my donations. Um, I, I, I was interested that even the atrocious human being Donald Trump said that this may well hurt the Republican Party in the November elections. And even though, of course, he appointed three of the judges here. It's June, things can burn out, but, but the, the power of people who believe in this right for women, I think is, is, is just huge. And, and, and their com commitment to it is huge. And I think that, I personally think that almost any Republican who's running for office who gets challenged on this, they're gonna bob and weave and try to duck answering the question. But the fact is that so many of them are on record. Um, I mean, pretty much everyone expects the Democrats to get clobbered in the House and the Senate. But I really wonder, I really wonder uh, whether uh, the power of, of the folks who believe in a woman's right to choose, I think their power could really surprise a lot of people at, in November, and I certainly hope so. Well, Dr. Jack Beecham, I want to thank you for joining us on the Vermont Conversation. Thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it. Enjoy talking with you.